Volume 1, Chapter 9 of the Heidenmauer, or the Benedictines, a legend of the Rhine, by James Fedimore Cooper. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Joel Kendrick. The Heidenmauer, by James Fedimore Cooper. Volume 1, Chapter 9. Japhet, I cannot answer thee. Byron the abbey of limburg owed its existence and its rich endowments chiefly to the favor of an emperor of germany in honor of this great patron an especial altar and gorgeous and elaborate tomb had been erected similar honors had also been paid to the counts of leinigen and to certain other noble families of the vicinity these several altars were in black marble relieved by ornaments of white and the tombs were decorated with heraldic devices as marked the particular races of the different individuals they stood apart from those already described in the principal church in a sort of crypt or semi-subterranean chapel beneath the choir thither count emic held his way when he quitted the column against which he had leaned while listening to the sermon of father arnoff the light of the upper church had that soft and melancholy tint which is so peculiar and so ornamental to a gothic edifice it entered through high narrow windows of painted glass coloring all within with a hue that it was not difficult for the imagination to conceive had some secret connection with the holy character of the place the depth and the secluded position of the chapel rendered this light still more gloomy and touching in the crypt when the count reached the pavement he felt its influence deeply for few descended into that solemn and hallowed vault without becoming sensible to the religious awe that reigned around emic crossed himself and as he passed before the altar reared by his race he bent a knee to the mild and lovely female countenance that was there to represent the mother of christ he thought himself alone and he uttered a prayer for though emic of Leinigen was a man that rarely communed seriously with god when exposed to worldly and deriding eyes he had in his heart deep reverence for his power as he arose a movement at his elbow attracted a look aside ha thou here ere prior he exclaimed suppressing as much of his surprise as self-command enabled him to do with success thou art swift in thy passage from the stall to the pulpit and swifter from the pulpit to the chapel we that are vowed to lives of monkish devotion need to be often at all thou wert kneeling emic before the altar of thy race by saint benedict thy patron but thou hast in good sooth found me in some such act holy father a weakness came over me on entering into this gloomy place and i would fain do reverence to the spirits of those who have gone before me callest thou desire to pray a weakness at what shrine could one of thy name worship more fittingly than at this which has been reared and enriched by the devout of his own kindred or in what better mood canst thou look into thyself and call upon divine aid than in that thou hast mentioned ere prior thou overlookest the occasion of my visit which is to hear the abbey mass and not to confess and be shrived it is long since thou hast had the benefit of these sacred offices emic thou hast done well in thy way father at the desk and i question not that the burghers of durkheim and their gossips will do thee credit in their private discourses thy fame as a preacher is not a mean degree even now and this effort of to-day would well-nigh gain thee a bishopric were the women of our valley in the way of moving rome how fareth it with the most holy abbot this morning and with those two pillars of the community the fathers siegfried and kuno thou sawest them in their places at the most holy mass for heaven but they are worthy companions believe me father more honest boon associates do not dwell in our merry palatinate 
nor men that I love in a better fashion according to their merits. Didst hear, Reverend Pryor, of their visit to Hartenburg, and of their deeds in the flesh? The humor of thy mind is quickly changed, Air Count, and pity tis t'were thus. I came not here to listen to tales of excesses in thy hold, nor of any forgetfulness of those who, having sworn to better things, have betrayed that they are merely men. Ay, and stout men, if any such dwell in the empire, I praise my good name as another, or I would tell thee the number of vessels that my keeper of the cellar sweareth are no better than so many men-at-arms fallen in a rally or an onset. This love of wine is the curse of our region and of the times. I would that none of the treacherous liquors should again enter the gates of Limburg. God's justice, Reverend Pryor, thou wilt in sooth find some decrease of quantity in future, returned Emic laughing. For the disputed vineyards have at last found a single, and though it might better come from thee, as one that hath often looked into my interior, as it were by confession, a worthy master. I pledge thee the honor of a noble, that not a flask of that which thou so contemnest shall ever again do violence to thy taste. The count cast a triumphant glance at the monk, in the expectation and possibly in the hope that, notwithstanding his professions of moderation, some lurking signs of regret might betray themselves at this announcement of the convent's loss. But Father Arnoff was what he seemed, a man devoted to the holy office he had assumed, and one but little influenced by worldly interests. I understand the emic, he said mildly, but unmoved. This scandal was not wanting at such a moment to bring obloquy upon a reverend and holy church against which its enemies have been permitted to make rude warfare, for reasons that are concealed in the inscrutable mysteries of him who founded it. Thou speakest in reason, monk, for, to say truth, you, fellow of Saxony and his followers, who are anything but few or weak, begin to move many in this quarter to doubts and disobedience. Thou must most stoutly hate this brother Luther in thy heart, father. For the first time that day the countenance of the prior lost its even expression of benevolence. But the change was so imperceptible to a vulgar eye as to escape the scrutiny of the count, and the feeling a lingering remnant of humanity was quickly mastered by one so accustomed to hold the passions in subjection. The name of the schismatic hath troubled me, returned the prior, smiling mournfully at the consciousness of his own weakness. I hope it has not been with a feeling of personal dislike. He stands on a frightful precipice, and from my soul do I pray that not only he, but all the deluded that follow in his dangerous track may see their peril in time to retire unharmed. Father, thou speakest like one that wishes good to the Saxon rather than harm. I think I may say the words do not belie the thoughts. Nay, thou forgettest the damnable heresies he practiseth and overlooketh his motive. Surely that can thus sell soul and body for love of a wanton nun hath little claim to thy charity. There was a slight glow on the temples of Father Arnoff. They have attributed to him this craven passion, he answered, and they have tried to prove that a mean wish to partake of the pleasures of the world lies at the bottom of his rebellion. But I believe it not, and I say it not. God's truth! Thou art worthy of thy holy office, Air Prior, and I honor thy moderation. Were there more like thee among us, we should have a better neighborhood, and less meddling with the concerns of others. With thee, I see myself no such necessity of his openly wiving the nun, for it is very possible to enjoy the gifts of life even under a cowl, should it be our fortune to wear it. The monk made no answer, for he perceived he had to do with one unequal to understanding his own character. Of this we will say no more, he rejoined after a brief and painful pause. Let us look rather to thine own welfare. 
It is said, Count Emic, that thou meditatest evil to this holy shrine, that ambition and the longings of cupidity have tempted thee to plot our abbey's fall, in order that none may stand between thine own baronial power and the throne of the elector. Thou art less unwilling to form unkind opinions of thy nearest neighbor than that mortal enemy of the church, Luther, it would appear, ere prior. What hast thou seen in me that can embolden one of thy charity to hazard this accusation? I do but hazard what all in our convent think and dread. Hast thou reflected well, Emic, of this sacrilegious enterprise, and what may be its fruits? Dost thou recall the objects for which these holy altars were reared, or the hand that laid the cornerstone of the edifice thou wouldst so profanely overthrow? Look, you good father Arnoff, there are two manners of viewing the erection of thy convent, and more especially of this identical church in which we stand. One of our traditions saith that the archknave himself had his trowel in thy masonry. Thou art of too high lineage, of blood too noble, and of intelligence too ripe to credit the tale. These are the points in which I pretend not to dip too deeply. I am no scholar of Prague or Wittenberg that thou shouldest put these questions so closely to me. It were well that the brotherhood had bethought itself of this imputation and season that the question might have been settled for or against as justice needed, when the learned and great among our fathers were met at Constance in grave and general council. Father Arnoff regarded his companion in serious concern. He too well knew the deplorable ignorance and the consequent superstition in which even the great of his time were involved to manifest surprise. But he also knew the power the other wielded sufficiently to foresee the evils of such a union between force and ignorance. Still, it was not his present object to combat questions that were only to be removed by time and study, if indeed they can ever be eradicated when fairly rooted in the human mind. He pursued his immediate design, therefore, avoiding a discussion which, at that moment, might prove worse than useless. That the finger of evil mingles more or less with all things that come of human agency may be true, he continued, taking care that the expression of his eye should neither awaken the pride nor arouse the obstinacy of the noble. But when altars have been reared, and when the worship of the Most High God hath continued for ages, we have reason to hope that his Holy Spirit presideth in majesty and love around the shrines. Such hath been the case with Limburg, Count Emic, and doubt it not, we who stand here holding this discourse stand also in the immediate presence of that dread being who created heaven and earth, who guideth our lives, and who will judge us in death. God help us, Herr Prior! Thou hast already done thy office in the desk this day, and I see no occasion that thou shouldest doubly perform a function that was so well acquitted at first. I like not the manner of being ushered, as it were unannounced, into so dread a presence as this thou hast just proclaimed. Were it but the elector Friedrich, Emich of Leinigen, could not presume to this familiarity without some consultation as to its fitness. In the eyes of the being, we mean, electors and emperors are equally indifferent. He loveth the meek and the merciful and the just, while he scourgeth them who deny his authority. But thou hast named thy feudal prince, and I will question thee in a manner suited to thy habits. Thou art, in truth, Emic of Linogen, a noble of name in the Palatinate, and one known to be of long-established authority in these regions. Still, art thou second or even third in worldly command in this thy very country? The elector and the emperor both hold thee in check, and either is strong enough to destroy thee at pleasure in thy vaunted hold of Hartenburg. 
To the last I yield the means, if thou wilt, worthy prior, interrupted the count, but for the first he must needs dispose of his own pressing enemies before he achieves this victory. Father Arnoff understood the other's meaning, for it was no secret that Friedrich was, just then, so pressed as to sit on a tottering throne, a circumstance that was known to have encouraged the long-meditated designs of the Count of Hartenburg to get rid of a community that thwarted his views and diminished his local authority. Forgetting the elector, we will turn only to the emperor, then rejoined the prior. Thou believest him to be in his palace, and remote from thy country, and certainly he hath here no visible force to restrain thy rebellious hand. We will imagine that a family he protected, nay, that he loved, stood in the way of some of thy greedy projects, and that the tempter had persuaded thee it would be well to remove it or destroy it with the strong hand. Art thou weak enough, Count Emic, to listen to such advice when thou knowest that the arm of Charles is long enough to reach from his distant Madrid to the most remote corner of Germany, and that his vengeance would be as sure as it would be fearful? It would be a bold warfare, Herr Prior, that of Emic of Leinigen against Charles Quintus. Left to mine own humor, holy monk, I would rather choose another enemy. And yet thou wouldest war with one mightier than he. Thou raisest thy impotent arm and thy audacious will against thy God. Thou wouldest despise his promises, profane his altars. Nay, thou wouldest fain throw down the tabernacle that he hath reared. Dost thou think that omnipotence will be a nerveless witness of the sin, or that an eternal and benign wisdom will forget to punish? By St. Paul, thou puttest the matter altogether in thine own interest, Father Arnoff, for there is yet no proof that this abbey of Limburg hath any such origin or, if it had, that it hath not fallen into disfavor by the excesses of his own professed. Twere well to send for the right reverend abbot and those pillars of sanctity the fathers Kuno and Siegfried to bear witness in thy behalf. God's wisdom! I reason better with those worthies in such a manner than with thee. Emic laughed, the sound echoing in that vaulted chapel to the ears of the monk, like the scoffing of a demon. Still, the natural equity of Father Arnoff told him that there was too much to justify the taunt of the noble, for he had long and bitterly mourned the depravity of many of the brotherhood. I am not here to sit in judgment on those who err, but to defend the shrines at which I worship and to warn thee from a fatal sin. If thy hand is ever lifted against these walls, it is raised against that which God hath blessed, and which God will avenge. But thou art of human feeling, Emic of Hartenburg, and though doubting of the sacred character of that which thou wouldest fain destroy, thou canst not deceive thyself concerning these tombs. In this holy chapel have prayers been often raised and masses said for the souls of thine own line. The Count of Leinigen looked steadily at the speaker. Father Arnoff had placed himself without design near the opening which communicated between that somber chapel and the superior church. Rays of bright light shot through the eastern window and fell upon the pavement at his feet, throwing around his form and mild and solemn luster which comes from the stained glass of the Gothic ages. The services of the morning had also spread throughout the entire building that soothing atmosphere which is usually the attendant of Roman worship. The incense had penetrated to the crypt, and unconsciously the warlike noble had felt its influence quieting his nerves and lulling the passions. All who have entered the principal basilica of modern Rome have been subject to a combination of moral and physical causes that produce the result we mean and which, though more striking in that vast and glorious pile, resembling a world with attributes and an atmosphere of its own, is also felt in every Catholic temple of consequence in a lessened degree. 
Here lie my fathers, Arnoff, answered the Count huskily, and here, as they sayest, have masses been said for their souls, and thou contemnest their graves. Thou wouldest violate even their bones. T'were not an act for a Christian. Look hither, Count. This is the monument of the good Emic, thy ancestor. He honored his God, and did not scruple to worship at our altars. Thou knowest, holy prior, that I have often bared my soul at thy knees. Thou hast confessed, and hast been shrived, that thou didst not lay up future griefs. Say, rather damnation, interrupted one behind, whose voice issuing suddenly from that sepulchral chapel seemed to come from the tombs themselves. Thou triflest, reverend prior, with our holy mission to deal thus tenderly with so sore a sinner. The Count of Leinigen had started and even quailed at the first words of interruption, but looking around he beheld the receding front, the sunken eye, and the bending person of Father Johann. Monks, I leave you, said Emic firmly. It is good for ye to pray and to frequent these gloomy altars, but I, who am a soldier, cannot waste further time in your vaults. Ere prior, farewell. Thou hast a guardian that will protect the good. Before the prior could recover his voice, for he too had been taken by surprise, the count stalked with a heavy footstep up the marble stairs, and the tread of his armed heel was soon heard on the flags above. End of Volume 1 Chapter 9 Read by Joel Kendrick